I'm so pleased today to have with me my beloved wife, Beverly. And on this special occasion, she has a message from her heart to you. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4.12, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. When I first read those words as both a young and new Christian, I couldn't understand how Paul could say them. Many years later, at this time in my life, my understanding is still incomplete. However, over the years, God has given me some understanding of this word, contentment. Like most Christians, I've mainly learned through my own life's experiences with God and by observing the lives of other people. Along with her husband and, and children, Ella worked as a missionary to the Pygmies in Africa for 52 years. She had left her country, her family, and all that was familiar. Primitive doesn't begin to describe her living conditions in the scorching 120 degree heat plus the humidity of the African bush. But Ella found no relief because electricity, air conditioning, and other modern conveniences were only a dream. But the people who worked with her said they never heard her complain. Ella, a modern day missionary, had a peace separate from her circumstances. As Ella's friend Linda Dillow writes, most of us base our contentment on our circumstances, our feelings or on other people. However, true contentment is separate from our circumstances. Contentment is a state of the heart and of the mind, not a state of affairs. Ella, like the Apostle Paul, lived with an eternal perspective. When we have God's perspective, we view our lives and evaluate what is important from his viewpoint. And of course, God's viewpoint, his truth, is found in his word. When I read Philippians 12:4 the second time, I noticed something very important. Paul said, I have learned to be content. It wasn't something that he received in a magical way overnight. How do we learn contentment? Number one, by reading God's word every day. The better we know God, the more we trust him. And faith and trust brings with it peace and contentment. God's word tells us that Jesus lived, died, and rose again to give us eternal life. This was Paul's secret of contentment. He had learned to fix his eyes on eternity, and he had learned to trust the God of eternity. Dear friends, this is how all of God's people have lived down through the millenniums. That doesn't mean that they were never fearful or even angry at the actions of their enemies. Just read through the Psalms. 
In times of great distress, it is normal to feel anxious, fearful, and angry. However, as Christians, we don't get stuck there because with our eternal perspective, we know the ultimate outcome, the coming of Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 8, with God on our side, how can we lose? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred or danger or even death. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced, writes Paul, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. May God help us to keep our eyes on the eternal. We're pleased to have with us on this important occasion, Emmanuel Soto, who is a member of this church, who represents the brave firemen. We're glad to have with us also a member of this church, Michael Solizano, who represents the armed forces. We're going to ask the congregation to respectfully stand for the presentation of the colors. to respectfully remain standing with bowed heads for a little moment of silence in respect for those who lost their lives on that day of unspeakable treachery. Let us remember the fallen and the brave. Let us pray together. Almighty God, God of our fathers, upon this solemn occasion, we come into your presence. We thank you for your great grace. We thank you for the everlasting gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you for America and for what it stands for. 
we thank you for our great heritage which is based upon your word which has made us all free men and women we know today that not, not everybody understands or appreciates these sacred values but we thank you that today enshrined in our hearts is a love for you and for your word and for our country and for the sacred cause of liberty and freedom. We pray earnestly today for those who grieve the loss of loved ones. We believe today that as our hearts grieve, so does your great heart of love. We pray that you will comfort and bless those who are walking through the valley of the shadow. But help them to know that there is a balm in Gilead for the wounded and that God cares and that God shall avenge his own. And that there is coming a blessed day of deliverance for the righteous and a day of judgment for the wicked. Hasten that day. We pray earnestly today for the President of the United States. We pray that you'll bless President George Bush. We thank you for him, that he is a man of prayer. We pray that you will give him a wisdom that doesn't come from beneath, but a wisdom that comes from above. We pray that you'll bless the Vice President. We pray that you'll bless also the wives of these good men and their families. Protect them from the hand of the deadly assassin. We pray for the cabinet. We pray for those who stand in positions of responsibility. We pray that you'll bless the firemen. What a sacrifice they made this week. We pray that you'll bless the police force. And our Father, as this nation moves towards a path of war, we pray that you will bless the young men and women who wear the uniform of their country. We pray that you will protect them and bless them and save them from evil. And as the president reminded the American people the other day, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Bless this congregation today. Bless those who are viewing on television. And God bless the United States of America. We pray that you'll hold back the winds of strife until the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. And so today, with one heart and with one voice, we worship you. We thank you. We bless you. We pray that you will forgive us for the coldness of our hearts. We pray that you will forgive us for our many sins. And, O oh God, send a revival upon America and upon your sleeping church 
and let it begin with us today. And so, our Father, into your hands we commit this service today and your people in Jesus' name. Amen. This week has been a time of horror, and yet it's also been a time of glory in this land. Beverly and I were awakened early on Tuesday morning by a phone call from Susan telling us to turn on our television sets. And with the rest of you, we watched in horror as we saw the World Trade Center demolished after being struck by two plane loads of innocent people. We also saw the Pentagon, the very heart of the military system of the United States of America, attacked. These attacks were carried out by cowardly evil men. One of the saddest things is that they were super religious people. They were, as we all know, Islamic fundamentalists, and they did this in the name of God. How can we ever appreciate the twisting of a mind to contemplate that God would do such a thing? God would be pleased with it. Others have compared the events of Tuesday to Pearl Harbor. And some have said, while that was an act of the basest treachery, it was done against military men. This largely was not done against military men. It was done against men and women and boys and girls. And they were used as the vehicles to destroy others. I would like you to know today that you're not alone in your grief. I called my mother who was 93, who had been up watching the television. She could hardly speak for crying. I called my sister. My sister had stayed up the whole night. And they said to me, And I felt proud to be the pastor of an American congregation. My sister told me about a man who carried 
on his back, a crippled man down 50 floors. And then we've heard the stories of the passengers who were in that flight. Most likely that was going to be a missile towards the White House who called on cell phones. There was a man who called to speak to his wife and said, we're getting ready. These are not soldiers. These are ordinary people. She said to him, don't call attention to yourself. Had three children. He said, I've got work to do. I've got to go. They have their country and their debt. She said she told the children, Daddy's not coming home. And they said, can we talk to Daddy on the cell phone? Can we call him on his cell phone? The thing that has impressed people around the world, including the Russians, has been the courage of the ordinary American person. I think of the firemen, uh, literally hundreds of them, who gave their lives. As people were going down the stairs, they were going up the stairs. I was moved when I saw the CEO who was weeping, he was, got to work late. And he got to work late because he dropped his little boy off on some special occasion. He lost 700 of his team members, 700. He said, I live for one purpose, to support those people who, re who remain. I saw the other day, and this was only just one incident. Some would say it's just a little incident. It was, but it means a lot. There were a group of policemen, tough New Yorkers. And they had been working for 15 hours. They were covered in filth. They were desperately weary. When they came off duty, they were told by those in charge, it's time for you to go home. They said, we're not going anywhere. Just give us something to eat and let us get back into it. I want to say that I think the American nation has responded magnificently. So much so, and you can smile at this, but Beverly and I have used in our campaigns around the world large flags to represent certain truths in the Bible much bigger than these flags. This very large flag that we have used in our campaigns is now flying at our house. I think we should pray and keep in our prayers President George Bush. Some would say he's a young, inexperienced president. But I think he has acted magnificently with humility and dignity and feeling. 
A man should never be ashamed of tears when he grieves the loss of dear ones. I was impressed when I saw his face contorted as he expressed his sorrow and his resolve. I was moved when the president, like a father, comforted his children by reading from Psalm 23. Aren't you glad the people here are believers in this country? Aren't you glad this is not an atheistic place? Aren't you glad this is not Afghanistan? Friday, of course, was a day of mourning when the leaders met at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. I was moved and touched by the beauty of the service, by the calm dignity, as befits a great people. I don't think those terrorists knew that they were taking on such a great people. I was impressed by the old patriarch of American evangelism with his long white locks who unsteadily ascended the steps and spoke from the Bible. Dr. Billy Graham, 82 years old, who spoke on the love of God. I was impressed to see the president and the cabinet and every person stand in that beautiful cathedral and give him a standing ovation. We have seen times of unspeakable horror. I can't think of anything in history that compares to this. Yet I would remind you that this week we have seen America at her very best. We have seen her as a shining light on a hill. It is my prayer today that God will bless America. As your pastor, today I want to share with you great truths that give hope and meaning in times of evil, in times of darkness, in times of despair. The first great truth is the great truth that whatever happens, God is love. Nothing can change that. I want you to say with me, John 3.16, you don't need to turn to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Therefore, I wish to remind you today of the truth that God is not the cause of suffering. God is not the author of evil. We must recognize that sin has invaded this planet and evil is in this world. And those unspeakable acts of cowardice 
those unspeakable acts of evil were done by evil men from whom the love of God was missing. But God is not the author of our suffering. Would you please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. This is a book that was written during a time of great sorrow in Israel when Jerusalem had been destroyed. Thousands and thousands of God's people had been killed. It was similar to what happened in New York. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 written by Jeremiah the prophet. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion Therefore, I will wait for him. And verse 33 says, For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of man. And then if you'd kindly read verse 52 and onwards of the same chapter, 52 and onwards. Those who were my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. They tried to end my life in a pit and threw stones at me. The waters closed over my head and I thought I was about to be cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my Please do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, Do not fear. O Lord, you took up my case. You redeemed my life. It has been said on the television that there are some in this great land who are fearful at this time. They wonder what the future holds. My friend, we shall not fear because our faith is in God. We shall not be terrified by the assaults of evildoers. I would remind you today that God is still on his throne. 
The Bible says he sits enthroned above the waters. What does that mean? In that context, it's not talking about a literal sea. It is talking about the surging ocean of nations who are at war among themselves. The Bible says he sits enthroned above the waters. He is in charge of the waters. And for the child of God, nothing can touch us that is not for our good. The greatest of the apostles said, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who have been called according to his purpose. Nothing can happen to you or to me that God has not already made provision for. He is in charge. President George Bush quoted one of the founding fathers during his inauguration speech. And there was a phase that caught my ear. He said, An angel rides in the whirlwind and directs in the affairs of this state. I would remind you that an angel rides in the whirlwind. He is in charge. I would remind you that we have hope and it is not a false hope. We are not defeated and we are not broken because we have hope in God who raises the dead. We have hope that the kingdom of God will come. We have hope because there is life after death. We have hope because there is a heaven. And I would remind you, the Bible teaches there is a judgment day. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. The perpetrators of those cowardly, dastardly, evil acts may think that they are going to be with Allah in paradise. They face the vengeance of Almighty God. There is a judgment day. Make no doubt about it. It has been said, evil men may have their hour, but God will have his day.
I wish to call your attention to a most important truth that sometimes we forget in the surge of our emotion. What happened in New York and in Washington is a call for repentance. I wish to remind you of a solemn truth. And I believe it is appropriate as your pastor that I say this to you. Could it be that the mantle of God's protective care because of our sins is being removed from our nation? prophet said if my people who are called by your name shall pray humble themselves and seek your face God says if you do this my people will seek my face then I will hear from heaven I'll answer their prayers I'll heal their land. We should, as a nation, seek for a spiritual revival. As a sleeping church, we should repent of our sins. And as individuals, we should turn to God. I would remind you of the words of the Old Testament prophet. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I believe, my beloved friends, it is appropriate today that I bring you also a special prophetic message. This message has not been spoken by any of our leaders or politicians this week. For them, I do not think it would be appropriate. But as the body of Christ, it is indeed appropriate for us. Listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. I do not have, I do not have an easy word now to share with you. Bible prophecy teaches that a great time of trouble is about to come upon the world. And it is time for us to be ready. 
I want to present to you a scenario of coming events from the sure word of Bible prophecy. Would you please turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. And those of you who don't own a Bible, who haven't brought your Bible to church, there are Bibles in the pews. And I would encourage you, please, to open your Bible and turn to these texts. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 and onwards. And I want you to notice the sure word our Bible prophecy that comes to us today. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and onwards. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Listen to the word of the Lord. Before the very end of the world, there comes upon this land right around the world a time of trouble such as this world has never experienced. Roland here has experienced the horrors of the Second World War. Some of you have been in other wars. But this is going to be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. The time of trouble is going to lead in to the standing up of Michael. He who is like God, the word means. The finishing of the work of God in the world. The coming of our Lord and the resurrection of the saints. Mark my words today. The world will never be the same again. There was a time when Russia was our great enemy and many of us were afraid of nuclear war. You will remember, my beloved ones, going back 10 years of the words of politicians who said peace and safety we have slain the dragon and now we enter upon a new millennium of unparalleled prosperity and peace I would remind you that in the New Testament 
the last night of Babylon is a type of the end of the world. The last night of Babylon was a time when the people had forsaken the law of God. It was a time of revelry and drunkenness. And in such an hour as they thought not, destruction came. So it was, and so shall it be. My wife Beverly, who came downstairs, if we turned on the television, and sat there transfixed and horrified, thinking it was like a movie, and that it wasn't happening, that these were somehow special effects. Did you feel that way? That you could turn it off, but it was not. Beverly said to me the words that shook me. As we saw the planes, we saw them, did we not, from every horrendous angle, until we wished it would go away. But she said to me, next time, there'll be nuclear weapons. Listen carefully to this. Jesus, our blessed Lord, talking about the last day, said, there would be a tribulation such as has not and never to be repeated, and except those days should be shortened, no flesh would be saved. Some of us, maybe some of us in this congregation, have been deceived by the idea that God's people would be raptured home to glory and then would come the time of trouble. Movies have been made about it and millions have believed it. My friend, the tribulation comes before the second coming and the church is going to be here on earth. I want you to turn to these words of our Lord in Matthew 24, in verse 21. I want you to see these words. This chapter is called by theologians the little apocalypse, and you can understand why. Verse 21. For then there'll be great distress unequal from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Verse 34. 
I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And then the Apostle John in prophetic vision saw the world just before the end. He wrote it in Revelation 11. Would you please turn to that? Revelation chapter 11, my dear friends. Verse 15 and onwards. Revelation 11, verse 15 and onwards. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you've taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great Hailstorm. I wish to remind you that you and I today are living in the time of the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And when our blessed Lord returns in the clouds of glory, the nations are destroying the earth. Of course, when these words were written, they were written days of swords and bows and arrows. As you know, I've been to Russia 21 times or so. I have baptized hundreds of Russian soldiers and officers. I know of the deep pessimism that fills the Russian military. Did you know that there are young men earning $20 a month with hungry families who are in charge of nuclear missiles? What a temptation to sell to a terrorist and become a millionaire. president has said America 
is at war. I wish to read you a statement from a person who had a prophetic vision. Those who have scoffed at her writings, it is time for you to cease scoffing. She wrote, did Ellen White, transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world and a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. Let the scoffer cease his scoffing. In fact, in one of her visions, she saw immense buildings towering to the sky. The people thought they were fireproof. She saw them on fire, great walls of fire. She said no one could put out the fire. She said great cities will be destroyed and millions will perish. For years, the church has slept on. What happened this week is a wake-up call for America and for the world. If it can happen here, it can happen anywhere. It's a wake-up call for a sleeping church. The Lord is coming. Are you ready? I was flying last week, took a meeting at 3ABN, got on American West at St. Louis Airport on Friday, got back here. I've tried not to think of it, but I, I think about it all the time. I dream about it. I think of those people who got on those planes in Boston coming to Los Angeles. They picked the planes well. They picked the planes that would be loaded with fuel. I can think of people who said goodbye. I can think of that well-known television personality who stayed a day longer. She had business in New York because it was her husband's birthday. And they talked on the phone, the cell phone, and they told each other they loved each other. And when he got home, you know, went to get into bed, she'd left him a message on the pillow or somewhere. There were people in flying missiles and they went to their death 
with courage and dignity, like soldiers. Who would have believed it? Jesus said, In such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. What if he comes for you today or for me? What about your experience with God? We have a lot of folks at church today. What do you do on other Sabbaths? What about the study of the scriptures? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We're going to pray together. Our Father, today, during this time of this great disaster, this time of unspeakable suffering, the murder of millions of thousands of innocent people, the grieving of millions of ordinary people too. We come to you. Lord, is it true? Are you taking your mantle of safety from us as a people because we have turned away from you? Oh God, bring us back to you today. Those of us who have been indifferent to the claims of Christ, who've given up on the church, not for some high spiritual reason, no, but because of spiritual indifference, bring us back today. Those of us who have become indolent in the reading of the scriptures because we love HBO more than we love Jesus, bring us back to your word. We confess our sins before you this day. Cover us today with the mantle of your blood and restore to us the mantle of your keeping power. We pray for this congregation. We pray for the congregation across North America who watch this telecast. We pray for the leaders of this nation. We pray for those who mourn the loss of loved ones. And we pray for our own souls that we will say at last, this is my God. Thank you, our Father, for being here today. We worship you. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.